Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Thanks for joining us. And on today's episode, we're going to go on a visit to the Trenchard Museum at RAF Halton in England. So as we were planning our trip to the UK, we had about three weeks of travel and we were about a week from leaving. Everything was scheduled. Mm -hmm. We had some time in Wales, some time in England. When we were structuring our trip, part of what we were trying to do was also visit places where both of our families had some history in. And it dawned on me about a week before we were set to leave and the itinerary was set that, hey, maybe I should take a look at this book that I remembered was sitting on the bookshelf. So this is a book called Survivors of War. Which you had read before, but you were going to look at it a little more meticulously so if you can get some more information. Yeah, and it had been a while since I had read it. Right. But I took it off the bookshelf, and this is a book that was written by my cousin, Dan Dabrutsky. And when I was flipping through it, there was a reference to my dad's time in England, and it had mentioned his stay at the Royal Air Force. So then I started quickly thinking, geez, is there by chance anything still in England that is a museum or a memorial of this place that where, where he was. So quickly jumped on the internet and lo and behold, I find at Halton where he was stationed, there's still a museum there. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting information about the museum. Is this a place that we can visit? So this is a military, this is an active military base. Yeah. So I think that's why we kind of were going into this thinking, are we going to even be able to, proceed Mm -hmm. to this military base because you know that's something that civilians don't normally get a chance to visit until you came upon more information in regards to this museum that happens to be sitting right in the middle of this military base yeah so it turned out that there's a facility called the trenchard museum it's on the base and it presents a history of the training that's gone on on the premises over the decades. So I thought, hey, this would be really interesting to go see since my dad was stationed here in the 1940s. So I'm looking at the information and it turns out that um, it was only going to be open on Tuesdays, which presented a problem for our itinerary. So I had to quickly shuffle things so we could fit this in. The good news was that I was able to make the changes needed. So we, we modified our itinerary. So by the time we're into, I think, our second week of England on this particular Tuesday, we set out to visit the Trenchard Museum. We had done a little bit of looking into the museum and, and uh, what was there, but it did not give an exact picture of what this museum was. So I was pleasantly, pleasantly pleased when we ended up getting there. So the museum itself, it aims to preserve and display items that relate to the history of the Royal Air Force at Halton and in other areas in England. They are based not only at Halton, but there's other specific areas they're based at too, which some have now closed from my understanding. The museum was named in honor of a man who is regarded as the founding father of the Royal Air Force, and that is a man called Viscount Trenchard. He also was the one that founded the Aircraft Apprentice Scheme, which was something that was way, way before its time in regards to bringing in younger men, boys, really, Mm -hmm. and show them how to fix, repair aircraft and other things too. There was there was a vast array of things that they were apprenticed in and learned. 
So it was something that was quite before its time and quite revolutionary. Yeah, I, I think, think when we think about the world wars, both one and two, you know, you always look at the aircraft that was flown and the um, the fighter pilots and, and the people who were fighting in the missions that way. But behind all that, there was this backbone of people who had to keep the aircraft running, flying, you know, right. maintained. Yep. And that's the kind of training that happened at RAF Halton throughout the years. It wasn't until June 26 of 1999 that the museum was funded and supported by the RAF Halton Apprentice Association. It was at that time that the collection started to grow. And they have many different artifacts, including three complete aircrafts, two cockpits, nine aero engines, and a range of displays, that mm-hmm. which we had seen, and models, and a lot of memorabilia about the time in the 1940s, little display cases that show the life and the training and events that happened during that time at Halton. Yeah. So we thought, hey, this is going to be a pretty neat place to go see. So we were staying in London and we made our travel from London to get to this place. So the way that getting there happens, and we're going to give these directions from London, we made our way to the Mary LeBone station and from there got on a train that would take us to a city called Wendover and uh, a very small town. And it was about a 48-minute ride on the train. Yeah, very small. And once we got to Wendover, a gentleman at the train station directed us on how to get to, I think, the first landmark that I had on my directions that we needed to get to, which was this clock tower Uh in, in the kind of in the center of the city. So we made a walk to the clock tower. And from there, the options were to either take a bus or make a 20 minute walk, I think, to the base. And I think we decided that we were going to take the bus. And so the the bus pulled up and the bus driver mentioned to us something along the lines of, hey, are you you really sure you want to pay six pounds to get on the bus for what's going to be a fairly short bus ride? Yeah, that was a little perplexing for me because I'm looking and I'm going, I don't understand why you're asking this. Yeah. So we ended up not only paying the bus fare, we ended up buying uh, what they call a return ticket. So Mm -hmm. to get there and back. In other words, a round Round trip. Uh, Round trip. As we call it in the States. Yeah. Yeah, So from the clock tower, we hop on the bus and then make our way to the RAF base. And once at the base, then you have to go through a bit of the logistics to actually get to the museum. Yeah. So we we got off at the bus stop that was uh, right in front of the base entrance and made our way into the base through the open gates that were there. Didn't quite know what to do. There was a building there, but we weren't sure if we should enter it. And so we made our way to the guardhouse that was up the road a few feet. And then the guard came out because apparently we needed to turn around. We weren't supposed to be entering into the base without going through a process. If you're going to visit here and if you want to visit the museum, you have to have documentation with your photo, with your name, etc. So we had our passports with us. Mm-hmm. They will take your picture. Mm-hmm. And with that issue, you kind of a badge with your photo on it. And then that kind of signifies that you're okay for the day to be on the premises. And then from the guardhouse to actually get to the museum, you have to be escorted. We did not have a car. So there was somebody at the facility that put us in a vehicle with somebody from the base right. and took us up to the museum. Right. And let us out. And from there, we started the tour of the museum. Yeah, so we got out of the car and were kind of escorted to the museum, which is very small. It was a very small building. And we got inside, and almost immediately, we were greeted by a man called Francis Hanford, who was a curator there. And we introduced ourselves because you had contacted him before we ever got Mm -hmm. there while we were still in the States. We introduced ourselves and he immediately began to start talking about the history of the museum and the Polish contingency, which we were interested in. He already knew that we were interested in. Mm -hmm. So he pulls out this book and he turns it to a page with a list of names and 
you immediately saw your dad's name and your uncle's name mm-hmm. on this list of names. And there was kind of a, an exhilaration that went with seeing their names, for me anyway, because it was like verified. It was like right there in black and white. You know, your dad was there. And Mr. Francis began to solidify that by telling us the stories of these young Polish boys and how they got there. The book had a lot of information in it. He let us thumb through the book a little bit. After we saw your dad's name and your uncle's name, you began to notice other names that were familiar to you. You were looking for them. Yeah. So the thing that that I've always found somewhat fascinating is, and, and we'll kind of get into the story of this Polish contingent that trained at RAF Halton, but in essence, you had this group of several hundred boys who basically were refugees from Poland through the war my dad and my uncle being two of them. And through the years, my dad and my uncle ended up living in Southern California. So, you know, as decades passed, that's where they made their home, as did a number of some of these other boys that also were students at at Halton. It always kind of struck me odd that the war happened, you had people displaced from their homes, these circumstances happened, and then decades later, People who were who had been scattered within all areas of Poland, several of them trained at the school, and then you know at least a dozen of them ended up living within mm-hmm. a twenty mile radius mm-hmm. in Southern California. And so there yeah. was a, a number of these folks that I grew up with, and as we're looking at these pages, I'm seeing multiple names of people that I had probably seen at least every single month during my childhood. So. Right. As their names were jumping off the page, it kind of put this reality to these stories that I had heard them talk about constantly during my youth. And now I was standing on the grounds of the school where they were at and where their life story took this phenomenal turn. Yeah. So here are these young boys who had to grow up before their time. I Mm -hmm. mean, they, they had a lot of fast growing up and... They were all put together because parents were not around. It was just them. I'm sure there is an incredible bond that was formed between these boys that were taken out of their homeland, taken out of everything that they knew because of a war, and thrown into this situation where they were the only ones that knew their language and knew, you know, they spoke to each other. And so I'm sure this bond that was created was just unbreakable for them. Yeah. And we're talking, when we're talking boys, we're talking teenage boys. They're just young. As we were flipping through that book, Mm -hmm. you know, we came across some pictures and we flipped uh, over a page. And I remember there was your dad and your uncle and they looked like, literally, they looked like babies. Mm -hmm. They looked like they were 10, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And... It was hard to... Now, they were small-framed young boys anyway, but it's hard to imagine what they had gone through because they must have been malnourished. They had a a very, very, very long journey, which we'll talk about, which was quite an incredible journey. So a lot of these boys probably looked younger than they actually were because of malnourishment and lack of care. Francis had told us the story of how these Polish boys came to be in Halton. So in the middle of 1917, which was a long time ago, there was an authorization to double squadron and they needed mechanics. So this is when this apprenticeship program started. So it started actually in World War One. Mm-hmm. So at the end of World War One, there was a 300,000 Air Force military personnel, which quickly sh- shrunk down to 27,000 because of the end of World War I. During the peacetime of World War I, Lord Trenchard foresaw the need to produce skilled aircraft engineers. So he started a three-year course, but it extended all the way from 1920 till 1993. There was a reasons why they started closing down facilities um, and they stopped this training program. But in its time, that was absolutely amazing, long run for young men to receive technical training 
in um, some very, very needed skills at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the school was offered many short engineering training courses, and they produced a vast majority of the maintenance crews for World War II. So they decided to recruit boys for this training program, but they had to pass this very, very stiff exam. They had to have an aptitude for mathematics for the Halton apprentice training, and they would provide them accommodation and food and clothing for free. They would even, for some, I think not for all, but for some they would be paid depending on what their apprenticeship was. It was completely revolutionary at the time. You did not find that anywhere within the social apparatus of this time. So between 1922 and 1993, they've trained at least 40,000 individuals. Mm -hmm. And as among the individuals that were trained there was this interesting story of several hundred boys that came from Poland. So the vast majority of people who were ever trained at Halton were English people, you know, people from England who lived in the country, you know, would have made their way into the military. But we're going to talk about this very unique contingent of boys. The story of this Polish contingent begins with the German invasion of Poland in September 1939. About a month after that happened, there was a treaty that was dividing Poland partly between Germany and partly between the Soviet Union. So the part of Poland that the Soviet Union took over is where both my mom lived and my dad lived. My dad's family lived in a small town called Yavorov. And at this time, they were then displaced. So, you know, everybody in this particular area was in the situation where the Soviet Union came in, the army came in with guns, and the the homestead that my family would have lived in were, were given something like 24 hours, 48 hours to pack up a suitcase. You would got on a cattle car, and then the whole family was transported to Siberia. Mm-hmm. The story is that as these roundups were happening, a lot of the, the male individuals, the older men, Males were rounded up, never to be seen from again, so mm-hmm. we know what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the story, my grandfather doesn't end up surviving. I think he actually made it to Siberia. Right. So there's documentation of what happened to him mm-hmm. in the book that I mentioned, Survivors of War. Mm-hmm. But my dad, his siblings, my grandmother, they would be in Siberia. And then as the war progressed and things were not going well between Germany and Russia, that's when... And this agreement happened that the Poles who were in Siberia needed to be released. So they were migrated down to the Middle East, to the Persia area, mm-hmm. and uh, rounded up in refugee camps. When they got to Persia, which was quite an ordeal, I'm sure, mm-hmm. some were, as they were rounded up under Allied control, some were brought to Egypt, some went to Tehran, mm-hmm. and some went to Palestine. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad would talk about his time in, I think, all of those places. So he he made his way through the Middle East. And I think it was helpful for me to, to go to this museum, talk to the curators, because they helped to kind of put these puzzle pieces together. But during the time in the Middle East, there was members from the Royal Air Force who were there, partly looking for people or looking for boys, rather, to recruit into the Royal Air Force. And this place where my dad was at in the Middle East, Mm -hmm. the recruiters from the Royal Air Force happened to come there, and they gave this test to find out, you know, which of the boys in these refugee camps might be candidates to come to training in Halton. They had to pass some testing that included mathematics, showed aptitude for that. And they also had to be of a minimum age, which was at least 15 and a half. Now, these boys, we don't know how many boys were in these refugee camps, but the British army was taking roughly only 300 Mm -hmm. of these boys to join the RAF. Yeah, and and there would have been many, many, many more boys to choose from. So there was a, a, a very small amount that were, were taken. I know that my dad was not 15 and a half mm-hmm. when he was selected. He wasn't 15 and a half when he landed in Halton. Mm-hmm. Well, and nobody had papers, nobody had documentation. The British army didn't know what their age was. They kind of had to just go by what the boys were saying. Right. 
And when we were talking to Francis Hanford at the museum, he kind of with a wink mentioned that, you know, it was known that many of these boys had lied about their age. Some of the documentation that we were reading when we were at the museum, there was notes that some of these Polish boys lied about their age by as much as two years, in some cases, as much as three years. So you had kids. I mean, these were kids. They were 12 years old, 13 years old. My dad, I think, might have been close to 15 Mm -hmm. when he was recruited. But again, as you mentioned, close to 300 or so ended up being selected. And then they make their way via a ship from Port Suez, on board the Mauritania, which I remember my dad speaking about the the ship, the Mauritania, so I'd heard about that growing up, sailing for a month around the perimeter of Africa, around the Cape of Africa, to make their way to Liverpool. And this was not a safe trip, because remember, we're in war. And it didn't even dawn on me until later in our travels when we got to Liverpool and went to the uh, Merseyside Museum there, And we saw the maps of where the Germans had their submarines, and they were Mm -hmm. all over the Mm -hmm. Atlantic where the Mauritania would have been making its voyage. And the fact that they were actually able to make it safely to Liverpool, that was almost a miracle in itself because those waters were treacherous. So we get to 1943, August, and the ship, the Mauritania, lands in Liverpool on the 12th of August. And a day later, via train, this Polish contingent lands at the Royal Air Force School in Halton, England. And for the next four years, they would be engaged in this training that would help to support the British Army mm-hmm. and their efforts during the war, particularly with the aircraft. So when we were looking through the book that Francis was showing us, one of the things that was in there for each of these boys were the things that they trained in. My dad, I didn't know this, he had trained in armory. Mm -hmm. My uncle had trained in instruments. And all of these boys ended up learning trades that when the war was finally over and they entered civilian life later, this is the training that they would rely on to make their living in. And so many of them, at least the ones that came to Southern California that I knew, worked in the aircraft industry be it for you know companies like Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, using these skills that mm-hmm. they picked up from the Royal Air Force. So one of the questions I always had is when the war was over, why did my dad, why did these other boys not go back to Poland? And so Francis was telling us about the choices that were available to the boys after the training was done. So they spent four years at the school going through the training Once they graduated, which I think was in 1947, there was three choices available to them. One was to enter civilian life, which it turned out most of them chose. A second option was to re-enlist, as it were, with the Royal Air Force. And the third choice was to go back to Poland. And Francis had mentioned that of all the boys who were at Halton, only five opted to go back to Poland. Right. And then the question is, why didn't... All of them want to go back to Poland. Yeah. And the answer was revealed by, by Francis, yeah. who said it was known that of the five boys who did go back to Poland, they were all imprisoned by the Soviets mm-hmm. for conspiring with the capitalists. And we believe that after imprisonment, that they may have suffered a fate that did not allow them to yeah. re-enter. Francis did say that they were uh, imprisoned. Mm-hmm. If there's any trial, I'm sure the Soviets probably did the punishment that they usually did, which would be execution. In retrospect, the right decision by most of these boys to continue their lives in places elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It's really unfortunate that there was not this opportunity to safely go back home. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that home didn't even exist anymore. Even today, when we think about... With part of our travels, we, we try to find out where our families came from, etc. Both where my mom came from and my dad came from, while in the early 1940s, where they lived was Poland. Today, the cities where they lived, that's not part of Poland anymore. So after these treaties, after World War II and the borders were changed, the town that my dad's family had lived in is part of present-day Ukraine. 
and you think about the political situation there over the past few years, not stable enough where I would feel safe right. traveling there. I would mm-hmm. love to go there someday mm-hmm. and we'll keep one eye open for when it feels safer to travel mm-hmm. there. But at least the past few years hasn't felt like the right time to right. get there. Right. And then where my mom was from, I believe is present day Latvia. Mm-hmm. which could be a possibility to mm-hmm. go to someday. Mm-hmm. So after this experience at Halton, my dad ends up opting for civilian life. I believe initially wanted to come to the United States, was denied entry initially. So he made his way to Canada, into Montreal, and spent a few years in Canada before finally being accepted to come to the United States, where he would spend the rest of his life in Southern California. Along with many other of them. Yeah, many other boys that came from the same school. So while at Halton, there was a lady that we have mentioned in earlier podcasts, and her name was Virginia Cheryl. She was a Hollywood actress. She had found herself in England because she married a gentleman called Lord Jersey. So she was literally Lady Jersey Mm -hmm. at the time. And one of the problems that the young Polish contingent had was that their parents weren't around. They had no family at all in England. And there were certain breaks that would happen at Halton in midsummer and in Christmas. They had at least six weeks off in the summer, which is a long period of Mm -hmm. time, and they had nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Lady Jersey got an invitation to become an honorary guardian of these apprentices, and She, together with some other public figures, had put together a program that got the word out to British citizens to help house these young boys during these breaks. There was at least 300 families that agreed to help these Polish boys and entertain them for the Christmas holidays and for the summer breaks. These arrangements had your dad and your uncle staying with Lady Jersey. And Lady Jersey at the time was living in a place called Richmond Palace. Mm -hmm. So they, through an amazing set of circumstances, were able to stay at an actual palace during this time over Christmas breaks and the summer breaks. Mm -hmm. And there's actually, in that book of Survivor of War, there's pictures of Lady Cheryl and some of the boys sitting around being entertained and reading and whatever she did to help these boys at the Richmond Palace. It was quite a thing to imagine. And I think your dad actually really loved that part Mm -hmm. of being able to kind of relax and have fun and have some good food and maybe just be a boy for a little bit instead of having to be a man. Yeah. Pretty amazing turn of events. You know, on the one hand, you've got these boys who were ripped apart from their homes, ripped apart from their families. They're in a place where they don't really know the language. They're in England. They speak Polish. And next thing you know, they're spending time in a, a pretty... Posh palace. High, high it was, society it was supposed type to be pretty place. posh. Yeah. And <laughs> with, with my dad, you informed this relationship with Virginia Cheryl that this lifelong bond that lasted through the end of both of their days... She, too, ultimately would make her home in Southern California as well. So in Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. which from where we live today is maybe about an hour or so away. So, again, interesting to me that... They all made their way in such close proximity to each other. Yeah, So Lady Jersey has this connectivity to RAF Halton, kind of the the patroness, if you would, especially of the Polish contingent that was there in the the 1940s. She was the guardian of Mm -hmm. these boys, and she took it very seriously. Yeah. So as we were in the museum, we started to look around at some of the exhibits, and these two other gentlemen had walked in and started a conversation with Francis Hanford, the the curator there. And I had overheard them mentioning going to look at the archives, and all of a sudden my ears perked up, and I'm thinking, archives? What what kind of archives are there here? Because, geez, if there was anything that they might have that would be more informative about my dad's time here. I sure would like to look at that. So we moseyed over to where they were talking and I asked Francis about, Hey, tell me more about this archives that you have. And he mentioned that there was this other building on the premises and the gentlemen were going to be going over there. And if we wanted to, we could go there too and Mm -hmm. see if there was happened to be something there. So Mm -hmm. we said, Hey, by all means, we're here. 
As we planned this trip, I had no idea there was an archive section, so this was a nice surprise. So next thing we know, we're getting escorted over from the museum to another building on the premises, which is where they house the archives for RAF Halton. Yeah, and it was a rainy day. Remember, it was very rainy that day. Yeah, we took a walk in in the rain. And yeah, during the walkover, the, the person who was escorting us, I think he had found out that we were there because of the connection to my dad, and my dad was part of this Polish contingent. He just, out of nowhere, made a comment about basically um, this thankfulness for the work of the Polish people in breaking the Enigma Code that was then able to be concluded by Alan Turing and had mentioned that, hey, if it wasn't for the Poles and their contribution relative to the Enigma code cracking, the war may have ended extraordinarily differently. Right. So that was kind of a neat mm-hmm. comment and recognition of this kind of joint contribution on actually breaking the Enigma code, which was critical in, in ending World War right. II in a positive way. So we end up in the archive room, and all that I had to present the archivist was my dad's name. I don't think I had like a military number with me because I think they typically look for some more information. Next thing we know, this one gentleman is bringing us a box that is filled with information relative to the Polish boys that were at this school. And next thing you know, we're looking through letters, photographs, stories, memorabilia, and we probably spent the next at least an hour, I think, yeah, with your phone. More. Just I snapping s- pictures. I snap pictures of yeah. everything. So one of the things that I still have yet to do, I've started, is I want to go through all that documentation and learn more about this story because it's an incredible journey that these hundreds of boys went through, yeah. you know, again, being ripped apart from their homeland, mm-hmm. ending up at the school. And, and, you know, some of these stories are documented. So, you know, yeah. something that and that's some well never worth. Made it. There is a book in Polish, it's called Modaciani Lotnici, which is young, kind of young airmen, I think is the way it would translate. We do have a copy of it at the house that I actually pilfered from my mom. But, uh, but I can't read it. Oh, well, yeah, so it's, it's, it's in Polish. Yeah. Um, but somewhere there is an addendum of it that is translated to English. And so if I'm not able to find that, then my other project at some point is going to be to try to translate part of that myself, which I will do. But they have yeah. this as one of the reference items at the Halton Museum, which is the history of the Polish aircraft apprentices at the RAF stations at both Halton and Cranwell. And it's probably the most comprehensive documentation of this Polish group of boys that would have served and trained at Halton during World War II. Mm -hmm. That book was also in the archives. And along with that book, a number of, of letters that we had come across as well. So part of the displays that we had looked at at the museum was a display that was for the Polish boys um, of Halton. It had an image in it with some explanation of this image. The explanation reads as, In August 1943, 254 Polish boys in their early teens, children of families deported to the USSR in 1940, and many, now orphans, arrived at Halton to begin training as aircraft apprentices. Theirs had been a harrowing journey, From prison camps or remote exile all over the Soviet Union, they had come to freedom via Iran, Palestine, Egypt, and a troop ship around the Cape to Great Britain. Still bearing the scars of their intrepid ordeal, they needed time to acclimate to their new world before starting technical training in January 1944. Also in January, Their ranks were bolstered when more Polish recruits arrived from East Africa. In total, 136 Polish apprentices completed their training at RAF Halton as engine, airframe, armament or electrical fitters, and instrument makers, graduating in August 1947 with the 49th RAF entry. A further 31 Polish apprentices graduated with the 50th RAF entry in February 1948. When the Polish Resettlement Corps was formed in 1946, 
All of the Polish apprentices became members. 102 from RAF Holton joined the RAF as regular airmen and became British citizens. 60 entered civilian life in Britain or immigrated, and only five members opted to return to a communist Poland. In the five years that Polish apprentices were at RAF Holton, they made a unique and greatly appreciated contribution to apprentice life. No keener and more dedicated band of younger men ever trained at this station. Yeah, I thought that was uh, a really nice tribute to this group of boys. So out of, you know, 40,000 that have trained at Halton, very nice memorial. They they seem to appreciate them. And it was evident in even the layout of the military base in that area, Mm -hmm. which as we went through the displays, they then took us outside Mm -hmm. to see more. So we'll talk about that too. So we've been talking about the... um, very unique part of the Halton story, which was this group of a few hundred boys. But maybe let's talk about what people are going to see when they actually go into the museum itself. So as you mentioned, it is fairly small, mm-hmm. but offers some you know pretty neat memorabilia from basically that spans from World War One to World War Two to the present mm-hmm. day. The display of the Polish aircraft apprentices was something that really caught my eyes. I I spent a lot of time there just looking at every single last memento that was in there and description that they had and and always just looking, keeping my eyes out for your dad or or, um, Wojciech Dolek. It was um, very special to me Mm -hmm. because... Of your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Some other things in the museum that grabbed my eye, you know, they had these displays that would show what the barracks would have looked like for many of the boys that would have been at this school. So the bedding, the training books that might have been by their side, they had from back in the 1940s. And I think, you know, much of the displays were kind of centered around that time. So there would be, you know, gramophones or these shortwave radios that gave you a sense of what it would have been like in their rooms during the time that they spent there. A lot of the displays, too, had things particular to what the boys were being trained in. Mm -hmm. So they had a display for armory and the tools that they used and the books that they used, what it might have looked like for them as they were going through this everyday schooling of learning how to do whatever they're being apprenticed for. And there was one also for Wojek Dolik, they had one for the instruments. The, mm-hmm. I just imagined, you know, them being so young and being there and having something that was giving them some hope. There was, you know, to your point about the things that they would have been working on, there was examples of these riveting exercises that they would have to complete and what those looked like. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you think about, you know, the time they spent there, all of the people who trained at Halton, you know, they would have walked away with very practical, hands-on, how-to-do-things that they could then take to engineering, to aircraft facilities. So while on the one hand, they were involved in training that was helpful to the British Royal Air Force, they also were trained in a way that was just helpful to society, for themselves, you know, after they departed the school as well. So, you know, a great contribution that was made by the school to the boys, to the Air Force, and I think to society in general. So the other thing that caught my eye in the museum, too, there was a a memento about the Battle of Britain. So this is one of the great battles of World War II, Mm -hmm. one that over 2,000 British pilots took part in. And of those pilots, there was at least 116 that were ex-apprentices from Halton. And there's mention made that I think is important that it talks about the importance of the ground crew who supported the battle. So while there was all these British pilots up in the air, that couldn't have happened without the thousands of folks on the ground who helped to make their planes in flying condition, maintain the planes. And it's noted that the ground crew, as important as they were, they never received any official recognition for their work. Mm-hmm. But they were part of the backbone of this massive engineering effort that kept the hurricanes, the Spitfires, and these other aircraft in the air. So, you know, something that people shouldn't forget, the vast behind-the-scenes contribution for this effort. 
that happened. Yes. At RAF Halton, there was a display of appreciation. Mm -hmm. And even in the rain, you know, it's raining quite hard at some times while we were there. But it, it let up a little bit, and the curator had somebody take us over to this memorial that they had for the Polish contingency. That, too, it was a very simple memorial, mm-hmm. but it just meant something. You know, it meant something to us uh, knowing that throughout this whole ordeal that all these boys had to go through, that there was somebody there that recognized them and appreciated everything that they did. That was memorable for me. Yeah, yeah when you think about the tens of thousands of people who have trained at Halton, a very, very small percentage was this Polish contingent mm-hmm. who ended up there just from these strange circumstances. And even today, you know, you walk outside and there's this white and red checkered memorial on the grounds of the base. That's the memorial to the the Polish contingent. And This memorial denotes the place where the Polish flag was raised every day by the Polish aircraft apprentices during their time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from 1945 to 1947. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this three-year small time in history that this happened, but the memorial is still there today. There's also a Polish avenue, which uh, when we were walking over to um, the archives Mm -hmm. was explained to us by the gentleman that was taking us over there. And it's a line of birch trees that were right next to that archive area. And these birch trees were actually planted by the Polish aircraft apprentices because they were very grateful to the British people for all their hospitality that they had given them during their time there. So in honor of these birch trees and the Polish apprentices planting them there in in their honor, the street was named Polish Avenue. So the Trenchard Museum, they do have a website. So if you're not able to visit there, one of the ways you can soak up a little bit of what they have to offer is by going to their website. And you can see examples of some of the items that are on display in the museum. For most of us, we don't have this connection that Art and I have to this Polish contingency that went through this harrowing experience. But it's still a great place to visit if you're in that area, especially if you're a you know a history buff and you love military history, particularly World War I and World War II. If you are connected to this Polish contingency, it is a fantastic place for you to go. If you're interested in Polish history and you're in the area, that it's a wonderful little museum that is packed full of information. Also, it's a great place for British history and what happened during that time during these war years, because many of the boys or, or young men that went through there were of British. They were of British descent. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in that. Yeah. Now there is a Royal Air Force Museum. It's a larger museum in London. So I think this would be a nice supplement. Like if you're going to be drawn to go into that museum, this is one that you might want to add to kind of that that, that type of history, right? And and also if if you like the kind of things that are like off the beaten path, kind of, you know, smaller and not necessarily the large tourist traps, this is Mm -hmm. like one of those types of places that probably not a lot of people know about, but you're going to walk away from this place knowing part of British history, Polish history, military history that otherwise you, you may not ever know about. Right. And it's absolute treasure trove of information for us because of your connection yeah. to it and, and your dad and him actually walking the same grounds that we walked on and the parades and mm-hmm. the things that they had. And, you know, we were right there. Yeah. And that was, that was really exciting. Yeah. So you've got this rich history that's presented at the Trenchard Museum that explains the important contribution of all who attended and served at this place, including the not widely known Polish chapter of the story, which we've uh, hopefully shed some light on through this podcast. Now, we were there for a long period of time because we were just soaking up uh, everything that was there and all the information and the picture taking. But there's also a little bit of interesting 
fun facts that go with RAF Holton. And they've made several movies there. I'm sure that it's a good revenue for them. And it is the grounds would be perfect for any kind of wartime movie. They still have the original barracks there Mm -hmm. where your dad and your uncle actually and all their friends actually lived and stayed in. And they're not open up to the public, but... It was fun to see those things too, but the setting is perfect for movies, including if you get a chance to see some of these movies that were made there, if you could find them, Bride and Prejudice. I personally have seen Foil's War, The Wrong Sea, Wonder Woman in 2017 was actually filmed there. Yeah. Which is really interesting. We could watch that one. Yeah, I was surprised how many movies were filmed there. Unfortunately, all of the the ones that were filmed there, I looked up to see which ones I could watch on Netflix. And at least as of today in the States, not a one of these movies filmed at Halton are available on Netflix. I'm going to have to find some other way to watch them. Yes, I'm sure we can find Wonder Woman somewhere. Yeah. That's our overview of the Trenchard Museum. But when we were done, and, and we had spent at least three hours on our visit, We were then hungry, and it was some time for some food. So we had walked back down to the town of Wendover and ended up at a place called Rumsey. We didn't walk. We walked a little bit. No, we didn't walk back to Wendover. We got a ride. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We were there for a long time. So there was, I I don't think they expected us to be there that long. So when it was time to leave, the gentleman that actually drove us up had already left. He was gone. So they were in a, a little bit of perfunct to how, try to figure out how to get us back to the gate house area where so we could get back into the yeah. um, little city of Wendover. Because civilians were not allowed to walk. From, no, yeah. so they had to figure that out. So there was a lady there that happened to volunteer a lot for this Trenchard Museum. And she said, oh, I'll take him, no problem. So we got in her car and we drove down to the gatehouse. And then she says, where do you want to go? And we said, well, we're just going back to town. You know, get, we're going to get the train. We're going to go take the train back to London. And she's, oh, I'll take you to the train. No problem. It was really, I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm, a long drive. Mm-hmm. So really sweet lady. Very, very friendly. Very happy lady. So we enjoyed um, a ride back, even though we had a return ticket on the bus. Yeah, uh, we enjoyed o- that ride back. Overpaid for that. <laughs> you overpaid for that, and we didn't know when it was coming. We had no idea when it was going to get back to that bus stop right. at the end. Yeah, so the lady who drove us back into town, we had her actually let us out in town because we didn't yeah. want to get a bite to eat. We were hungry. And we came across a place called Rumsey's Chocolatery and Coffee Shop, which you weren't sure if you actually wanted to have lunch there because I didn't... There's no menu. I didn't see a menu. Yeah, you just saw chocolate. I and, saw chocolate. And you didn't think... Even though as much as you love chocolate, I'm surprised that you... Not for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I was hungry. Yeah, but I walked in the door anyways, and I think you followed me, and uh, we spied some people eating what looked like to be lunch items. Well, we didn't see a menu, and I think you had started to head out the door looking for something else. I was already else. out the door. <laughs> Um, one of the the staff there approached me and I think we got our hands on a menu and it looked like it was going to work out. I'm I'm glad it did because we had a really, really enjoyable lunch at this place. So we had a, it was a simple lunch. I know I had a a chickpea sandwich that was, um, it reminded me kind of the way egg salad is prepared. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it wasn't kind of, it wasn't like a hummus, even though it was made out of chickpeas, it was a little more um, where the beans were still kind of whole yeah but really really good sandwich you had a roasted veggie sandwich with this dill cream that was out of this world it was so good very tasty simple lunch and we ended up also trying some of the chocolates there we had a rum Mm -hmm. raisin chocolate and all i can say about that is wow very good it was very good this tiny little town and you've got this wonderful little little chocolatier supplemented by uh food. So if you're in the town of Wendover, we would highly recommend Rumsey's Chocolatery and mm-hmm. Coffee Shop. Under the category of if we had more time to spend in Wendover, one of the things that I came across that 
sounded interesting to do. There's a place called Wendover Woods, which is a place with forest trails, stunning views. It would be a great day out. For us, it didn't work out on our itinerary, but if you end up making your way to this area and if you have more time to spend, Wendover Woods may be well worth checking out. Some tips that we can give you would be to make reservations in advance before your visit especially on a military base. So you had contacted the curator and he helped you, walked you through this process to um, get there and then to go through that process of checking in and what he gave you was very helpful. Mm -hmm. And then try to visit as soon as you can because there was some talk and i guess there had been talk for uh, quite a few years about this particular museum shutting down yeah so i think i had come across that it may be shutting down in 2022 or 2024 i think francis hanford had mentioned that the museum had been on the chopping block years before and it survived so and he was under the impression it would probably still survive but it's kind of an unknown yeah so i think this is one of those places that if you think you have any interest in visiting a place like this and especially if you're in the uk or are planning a trip to the uk put this on the top of your list because it's not clear how many more years the place will be around hopefully for a long time right But just in case it is toward the end of its lifespan, you might have a limited time to soak it up. And it is a must see for for us and I'm sure for a lot of other people. It is it is really informative. The people there are absolutely lovely. Yeah. And we had a really, really great time. Yeah, this is when I think about our time in the UK and, and especially just because of the family history story. One of the top places that I'm really, really glad that we were able to find mm-hmm. and visit. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of great memories from there. And we probably have more photos from this place than just about any other place we visited. Right, so right. lots to keep us busy. So that ends our review of the Trenchard Museum. Upcoming episodes, we're going to be taking you to various places that we visited in London. So we've got mm-hmm. several things still coming up. So... Hope you join us next time and we'll uh, catch up with you on some of the sites in London. And if you're enjoying our podcast, give us a like on the podcast engine of your choice. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on the places where we go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at the places where we go. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at the places where we go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.